me uh, in God's word in that passage that Jen read for us at the outset of our time together, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And as we continue our series here, Theology on Mission, our focus today is upon Jesus Christ, particularly, and our title is, The God Who Came Down, Jesus and Mission. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told that Jesus is the example for us in his coming to this earth, his attitude, his demeanor, his manner in which he came to live among us. This is Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. And this is the day that the church recognizes Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Well, we're going to have a little bit of a different twist, and we're going to talk about Jesus' triumphal entry into this earth. Uh, really here, we're, we're going to kind of capture the bookends of Jesus' life this week, the, the, some of the, really the three key highlights, his, his incarnation or his birth today and Friday. Um, we'll reflect upon his death for us, and then, of course, Easter stun Sunday, his resurrection. And I know Hunter already mentioned it earlier, but we want to invite you to join us in our weekly, our, our midweek services. We'll have Monday, Thursday service at 7 this week, and our Good Friday service at 7 on Friday. I want to invite you for that time of worship. As, you, as we think about theology, as we continue to think about theology through this series, um, Jesus is, is woven throughout all of Scripture, and Jesus is woven throughout all of theology. Uh, John Webster has said, no element in a system of theology is unrelated to Christology or the doctrine of Christ. To contemplate any parts of it is to have one, one's mind irresistibly drawn to the name and figure of Jesus Christ. Someone else said that if theology were a maze, every corner and every turn would lead to Jesus. The passage we're considering here this morning, uh, at least a portion of it, verses 6 through 11, is considered by many to be an early hymn in the Christian church. And so we want to take for a few moments and consider the God who came down. In these verses, we're told in, in verses 5 through 7, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Jesus is the God who came down. I remember a number of years ago, for at least a while, when it first came out on the radio, Caleb and Jaden's favorite song, it was played a lot at Christmas, but it can be at any time of the year song, was the, the song, How Many Kings? And if you're familiar with it, the chorus goes like this. Because how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many great kings have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? The incarnation of Jesus, him coming from heaven... The eternal God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, you and I, 
It's, it's beyond the, the reaches of our understanding and imagination. It captures our hearts and attention. God becoming flesh. We get little inklings of this here on earth when maybe someone unexpected shows up at a party, someone that you're glad who has unexpectedly showed up at a party. Maybe someone, I mean, I, I get emotional and teary-eyed at all of those videos, and I, no matter what spin they, they take on it or where the location is, it always gets to me when you see a, a dad who has been, or a mom who's been stationed overseas in the service, and they surprise their children somewhere unexpectedly. I, I, I get choked up every single time I see one of those videos. And it's, it's not like a new thing anymore. It happens, you see them all over the internet. But that touches us, that, that person that you did not expect to show up, that person who is dear and precious, and you, you've, you've anticipated their return, you've anticipated their homecoming, but you, you, you didn't dare expect the timing of it. We get little inklings in stories like that of, of the incarnation. We, we, we didn't know or understand, Old Testament Christians didn't know and understand what, what was coming. We had inklings of it. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and others spoke uh, of, of this servant who would come. And his titles and names seemed to indicate his deity. Yet, yet everyone was surprised. Everyone was taken aback. God became flesh. He is the God who came down. What does this truth have to say about mission? We're talking about theology on mission. How does Jesus coming to this earth impact how we live out the calling that he has given to us? J.B. Phillips once wrote a short story called The Visited Planet. I love that term. One theologian has said, theology can't be done as though we do not live on a visited planet. In other words, we are living out our belief with the understanding that Jesus has come. For us to live otherwise is foolish. It, it, it kicks the legs out from our faith, from our proclamation. And so I want to just say four things about mission as it relates to what this text tells us in Jesus' coming. And first of all, this text indicates that missions require, mission requires unity. Paul's exhortation in the very beginning of this passage says this in verse 2. He says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather the interests of others. You can probably tell from these verses that Paul was writing, actually like all of his letters, because there was some problem going on. And there was a, a problem of unity and humility and getting along and treating each other with grace and respect and gentleness. And Paul says, I want you to have the same mind. I want you to work 
together. We've seen what it's like in the sports world, how many of these teams have spent hundreds of millions of dollars to bring in the, the greatest star athletes, whether you're talking about the Lakers or the Yankees, and, and some of us who, are like, who aren't huge fans of when teams do that kind of enjoy seeing them fall. You watch these amazing stars, but they can't work together. They can't bring their star power, and they're, they're fine on their own, and they've put up some amazing numbers, but when you bring them together, they don't work well as a team. Jesus said it shouldn't be like that in the church. Our mindset should be like Jesus's. Look at these verses and think about how and, and what he's calling us to. Jesus, when he came, he wasn't out doing his own thing. He was perfectly united with the Father and the Spirit in their mission. And Paul says, I want you united. I don't want you out doing things for yourself. I don't want you out on your own. As, as we think about fulfilling the mission that God has called us to, may God give us the grace to be a church that works together in unity. It doesn't mean everybody thinks the exact same way and, and, and has no, uh, none of their own ideas or input. We read 1 Corinthians. We studied 1 Corinthians a year and a half ago and talked about the body and the diversity in the body and the beauty that that diversity brings. Rather, he, he says, work together side by side. Not doing things out of your own selfish ambition. Mission requires unity. He says, if you look just a few verses back in verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says, this is what I want you united in. You may not all think the same way. Certainly your personalities are not all going to be the same. But here's what I want you doing. I want you striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. I remember as a, as a kid, we, we had a, uh, kids' programs in our church, and uh, sometimes we would have these uh, three-legged races. Have you ever done a three-legged race? Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're, they're hilarious to watch. They're not so fun to be in, especially if you're competitive. And, and, and inevitably, you and your partner are not going to be at the same pace. Like, you have different strides. You're, you're One's taller, one's shorter, one's faster, one's not. And and you, you get out of sync very easily. And inevitably, you end up on the ground in a crumpled heap because you're not walking in sync. The picture here that God is calling us to is to, to run in sync as those on mission as a church. May that be true of us. Mission also requires humility. Mission requires humility. Did you hear what, it, what these verses said about Jesus? It says... In verse 6, that we're supposed to have this attitude. Jesus existed in the form of God, and he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or something to be held onto. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. Now, a lot of people have debated exactly what this means. There are those who would say that 
especially if, if they're wanting to attack the scriptures and try to find a reason to uh, explain why Jesus is not God, they would say, look, this is, a, this is Jesus when he came to this earth, he, was, he had given up his deity. He, he, was not, he had divested himself of his uh, divinity. The text is not saying that. It's not saying that he stopped being God as he came to this earth. Rather, it's telling us that, uh, in fact, I, I like how the, the, um, uh, the, the New King James translates verse 7. It says, he emptied himself, or he made himself of no reputation. And, and the following uh, two phrases really clarify this further when it says, he, he, took the, he assumed the form of a servant, and he took on the likeness of humanity. Jesus came to this earth in the most humble way possible. He had every right to stay where he was with all the, the glory and status that he had, but he willingly came to this earth. He humbled himself. If we are to be a church that's on mission, we need to be people of humility. How do you define humility? Humility is kind of a, a difficult word to capture in a phrase. Sometimes we have misconceptions about humility. I love how C.S. Lewis, as he always did, put it so memorably. He said, don't imagine that if you meet a, a really humble man, he, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably, all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who soon seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. I love that picture of one whose heart is humble. And Jesus he captured that better than anyone who's ever walked this earth. Jesus, he was cloaked in humility. He was the definition of humility. Jesus was never too good for anyone. We talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus always had time to draw the children close to him, to sit down with those well, whom nobody else would sit down. Jesus was not above others. I think that that is an important component, if not the central component of humility. Am I willing to sit down with anyone? Am I willing to show, like in the Lewis quote, do I demonstrate that what someone is sharing with me is important? Do I demonstrate that they're important? That was the heart of Jesus. Paul Rees has said, don't forget cries Paul, that in all this wide universe and in all the dim reaches of history, there's never been such a demonstration of self-effacing humility as when the Son of God, in sheer grace, descended to this errant planet. Remember that never, never in a million eons would he have done it if he were the kind of deity who looks only to his own interests and closes his eyes to the interests of others. You must remember, my brethren, that through your union with him in living, redemptive experience, this principle and passion by which he was moved must become the principle and passion by which you and I are moved. Jesus 
was not occupied with his own self-interest. He was occupied with the interests of others. What would really happen? I mean, what would really happen if we got verse 3? That we do nothing out of selfish ambition or this conceit, this pride, this vain glory, some translations say. But in humility, considered others more important than yourselves. You don't need to know the original Greek or unlock some special exegetical insight to be hit by the profound nature of this calling right here. Considering others more important than ourselves. Not in some, I mean, last week we, we, we talked about the dignity of every single person. So this is not some sort of like, oh, I'm just low and nothing and worthless. No, no, no. We have to temper our theology here. <laughs> what if out of that understanding of who I am in Christ and the dignity and value with which he's created me as an image bearer of him, as one who has been redeemed and born again and bought by the blood of Christ, out of that, I live in this sphere of I want to treat others and care about others and think about others more than I think about myself. When I have some extra time, not thinking about what I can do for me. When I have some extra money, not thinking about what I can do for me. But how I can pour into and love and care for others. I believe that it would absolutely change every single church in the world if believers truly understood, believed, and practiced Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Thirdly, mission requires sacrifice. Mission requires sacrifice. Um, <laughs> this is, probably goes without saying, but I, I have no idea what it's like to be God. I have no idea truly what God is doing day in and day out. We get inklings from Scripture and we know some of the things that, that God is occupied with in the, in the heavens. But we can't, we can't put ourselves in Jesus' shoes before he came to this earth. We, we can't get a clear picture, a clear understanding. It's beyond our reach or our grasp. But we have to realize, like we talked a little bit about in the, in the message on the Trinity, that, that everything was perfect. Like imagine your very best day. Your most perfect day that you've spent. And you're only getting just a whiff, just a, just a little taste of the, the presence of God and what was going on with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Everything was perfect. Everything was glorious. And yet, here's what Jesus decided to do. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, said, I am going to take on flesh and blood. I am going to assume the body of a human being. And I am going to go visit this planet that we have created. And I am going to live and walk among them. The, the sacrifice that is involved in that act is beyond the scope of our imagination. 
God, the creator of all things, made himself become a baby. I don't need to go into details. You know the kinds of things babies do. Let's not think that Jesus didn't do the kinds of things babies do. Jesus was a human being. Can you imagine? We've all had moments where we've, we've thought, there's no way I'm doing that task, whatever it is. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home. You're like, oh my word. I mean, some of you have watched the show, Mike Rose, Dirty Jobs, and probably the majority of those, you're like, there's no way you couldn't pay me enough money to get down in that or to touch that or to work along that smell. We're, we're astounded that someone actually does that job in this world. Jesus occupied for all, all eternity the presence of God, is God, and came to earth to be amongst sinners, to limit himself and his abilities through a human body. Jesus had colds. Jesus got the stomach flu. Jesus cut himself working with his father in the shop. Jesus subjected himself to disappointment and rejection by family members, no less. You see, when we're called on the mission of Jesus, we're called to live a life of sacrifice. Jesus told his disciples very poignantly in John 15 not to expect better treatment than what he got. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus very bluntly calls us to a life that mirror, mirrors his. And it's a life of sacrifice. In some ways, this can be kind of scary because we don't know what's coming. Jesus, in his omniscience, fully understanding all things, knew what was coming his way. But we saw in the garden that the agony that he was experiencing, the genuine, heart-wrenching agony. Jesus knew that that was the purpose for which he came upon this earth, but it didn't change the fact that it wrecked him on the inside. The calling that has been placed on you and I is directly tied in. It's not the same, but it's directly tied in to the calling of sacrifice. Jesus, we're told of Jesus here in verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Paul emphasizes that it wasn't just an ordinary death, it was the death of a cross, and we'll talk about that Friday. What kind of sacrifice is Jesus calling you to do? I'll say something that, that may offend some of you, but 
if you don't believe this is in Scripture, is backed up by Scripture, then you can give me a call. If following Jesus requires little to nothing of you, you're not following the Jesus of the Bible. If following Jesus Christ, if your Jesus does not demand that you give up, that you forsake, that you leave behind, that you take up a cross, it's not the Jesus who came down from heaven and humbled himself here upon this earth and subjected himself to the death of a cross. Following Jesus and being on mission requires sacrifice. What's he calling you to be willing to endure so as to reach this world? Maybe some loss of friendships, maybe financial sacrifice, maybe some time sacrifice. What's he calling you to forsake? What is, what is it that's got you a little too closely aligned with the mission of this world that he's calling you to leave behind so that you can go on mission for him? But here's, here's the glorious finale to this worship song. For this reason, because Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so in the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a glorious crescendo to this song of praise and exaltation. The Apostle Paul points us to the truth that mission brings honor. Jesus had accomplished the work the Father sent him to do. and He was received into heaven with a glorious standing ovation. While we are not Jesus, while we do not have the same mission as Jesus, and we will not receive the same exaltation as Jesus, the, the truth is that this is a biblical principle that God honors, that, that, that mission brings reward and recognition. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, and henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In this letter, which is the Apostle Paul's last, he's probably a few short months from his death. He says he's finished this race and he's fought well. Doesn't mean he's been perfect, he's done everything right. He's not saying that. But he's saying he's been faithful and that God is going to honor that. My brothers and sisters, a life devoted to God will not go unrewarded. A life of faithfulness, a life devoted to living out the mission to which God has called you and to me, it does not go unrecognized. May God grant us the joy of hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant.
We think about how theology impacts mission. We look here at our Savior, Jesus Christ. He left a place of comfort, a place of safety, a place of absolute perfection, peace and joy, and abundant love. And he went into a place of hurt where there was certain rejection, certain physical pain awaiting him, emotional pain awaiting him. It was certain. And he still came. He didn't have to. The father did not have him in an arm lock saying, you're going to do this or else. He didn't lose a game of paper, rock, scissors with the spirit. I guess you're the one who's got to go. He's not like our kids moping off to do a chore. Fine. I'll be the baby and do the Bethlehem thing and I'll do the cross. Fine. Jesus willingly, joyfully, happily came to this earth that he had created. He entered into our suffering so that he might suffer once for all to bring an end to suffering. When we see the, the mission heart of our God, our God is ascending God, but our God is also a going God. He charted the course. My brothers and sisters, if you find yourself comfortable in your faith, if you find yourself in a comfortable stage of your Christian life, if you feel like following Jesus is easy, come back to the Word of God. Come back to our Savior and see His heart for the lost, for you and me. And may we be willing to step out into the uncertainty to which He's calling us. Our Heavenly Father, thank you is, is not enough for what you did in sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you is not enough to represent what our hearts feel because of what you've done for us. Humbly you came to the earth you created. All for sinners to be made whole. You subjected yourself to the humility of a, the humiliation of, 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 a, of a birth and being absolutely dependent upon a, a mom and dad for everything, all your physical needs. You subjected yourself to misunderstanding. You, you subjected yourself to the physical pain that comes with having a human body. You subjected yourself to misunderstanding and misinformation being spread about you and subjected yourself to being rejected even by your own siblings 
came and you've, you've poured out your life. Father, I pray that as the Apostle Paul exhorts us that this mind, this way of thinking would be infused into us. We don't think about my needs or what makes me comfortable or, or putting myself first, but that we might lay our lives down for others. So that others may know, others may hear the, the glories of your grace. Father, let us not forget while we're he- why we're here. We've not been placed here to remain in ease and comfort. We've been not been placed here to remain in the status quo, but you've called us to go forth. May you quiet our hearts. And may we listen humbly and attentively before you and what your spirit is calling us to. It's not if we've been called on mission, but it's where and to whom. We can't do this without your power. We can't do this without the Holy Spirit you've given us. So may we live in his blessed and glorious strength. We thank you, God, for this calling. We thank you, Jesus, for leading the way. We thank you, Spirit, for empowering our Savior to fulfill his mission, for promising to do the same for us. Now may the Lord who hears your cry when your heart is faint continue to be the rock beneath you, the shelter above you, and the strong tower around you until Jesus comes. And it's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. May God bless you.